Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Yeah, so um, a a mini quick intro. We are a real estate fund that buys single family homes and we turn them into short term rentals, aka Airbnbs. Um, We are in nine different markets all over the country where we've seen some markets do really well, like Scottsdale. Um, And then we've also seen some markets slow down at the the current rate, you know, for instance, Poconos, Pennsylvania, which is like a a mountain market. Um, We've definitely been impacted by interest rates. Um, but we are still buying, um, homes that need to be, uh, remodeled. So that's an avenue that we take, obviously with some hope that interest rates will go down in the next couple of years. We can either refinance those and hold on to appreciation. Um, but our fund focuses on cash flow primarily. So, um, even with the high interest rates, we're still very much so cash flow positive. What, I mean, understanding nine markets, I know... I mean, sometimes understanding one market can be tough for, for people living there looking to purchase, but understanding nine markets, and I'm assuming you're you're touching a lot more than nine markets just to kind of get a feel out there. How do you do that? So I, I have a background in tech. I used to work at Apple. I was in software engineering. And when I first got into real estate, um, I had that exact issue. I didn't know what markets to invest in other than my own backyard. And San Francisco was a terrible backyard to invest in. Um, so... Um, I actually built an algorithm and a software um, that runs every 15 seconds and it pulls every MLS listing that hits the uh, any market in the United States. Mm-hmm. And we run it against our pro forma to see what kind of is the lowest hanging fruit and what markets seem viable. So that's wow. how we start. So I've underwritten thousands of real estate markets, thousands, um, just through data. Obviously, that's that's you know automated. It's robotic. So by the time I get the results of anything that's like a 10, 20% cash on cash, even five, right? We, we look at anything that's positive. You'll find like Detroit, right? Or like or markets that are um, maybe not so Airbnb friendly. Airbnb, Airbnb is very aesthetic, right? You need beautiful homes and the cute picket fences and the swimming pools and all that good stuff. So you still need a human to run all those markets, which we have. We have a team that does that. Um, but that's that's actually how we got down to the nine markets. And also with the market being a moving target the last two years, those have changed. We've entered markets, we've we've bought incredible homes, and those are not markets that we invest in now because of interest rates and other reasons. Well, that algorithm that you have right there, is it something that I mean, you said you've underwritten a thousand or over a thousand properties, and I think you guys carry less than a hundred currently in your portfolio, right? Yeah, we're around uh, 65 under contract. Um, I think we were pulling 10 more in by December. So Okay. So <clears throat> the other ones, was that for investors? Because you have this algorithm that's looking across the U.S. Was that something that you were um, charging people for uh, assistance on kind of knowing where they invest? Or was it simply just for... Uh, tech investors. Tech it's ju- it's just for tech investor, and we we consider it to be like a part of our secret sauce. Um, okay. We were like, you know what, this this is why you should be or take a look at investing with us passively through our fund for this reason, because we have exposure to markets and we're extremely data driven. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, markets have changed, right? Like Scottsdale uh, was a great example. I think in 2020, 2021, there were 100,000 over, over ask in cash with 50 different people doing that uh, at like a two and a half percent interest rate. And now, you know, the game's changed. It's a seven and, you know, you have more options. Prices have come down. So, so yeah, we're, we are data driven and we look at markets every single day and there's always something new. There's always something coming in and out. It's very interesting to sit at this 30,000 foot level of the market and see everything at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of markets that people aren't talking about. What, what's, what's one or two of those markets? You kind of, you kind of threw it out there. Like, oh, I gotta get this question. What's one or two markets. An interesting market that we just discovered was Galena, Illinois. Um, and it's a mountain market. We actually, as a fund, we focus on your typical 90 minute drive out of a major Metro. So for instance, like one market that we love is the Poconos because it's 90 minutes away from New York. You get this natural inbound traffic. People just want to get away. And so that's a part of our strategy with looking at markets. We try to find like where people want to get away for the weekend. It's not, it's not a great long-term approach. But it's great um, for inbound traffic from major metros. So that's that's a random example that I'm sure not many of our of your listeners have heard of. No, that's great right there. Well, let's let's rewind a little bit. So you talked about that uh, you were in the, the digital age and everything like that in the Bay Area. But who was a young Sabrina growing up? Was she into computers, real estate? I mean, what was her situation? Um, so I've I've always. I've always had tech and real estate on the map somewhere. Um, I'm born and raised in New York. I lived in Manhattan um, until I was 22 and I had my real estate license there. Uh, New York was a super cutthroat market though and very different from a lot of other markets in in the country. And then um, I've had this inner desire to go to school. So I went to Arizona State, studied marketing, had this like incredible curiosity with digital marketing with tech. And I kind of organically grew my way into technology. Um, I climbed the ladder in many different corporate jobs and found myself at Apple. Um, And I loved Apple. It was a great company to work for. But later on in my tech career, when I had the money to put into property, my love for real estate came back. And I started investing in properties on my own. Airbnb happened to be kind of an accident. Like I bought a second property near my parents, Airbnb'd it. Um, It hit the ground running, especially during COVID. Um, Arizona was like one of the only states that um, was still open. And at the time at Apple, there was like an internal investing group, like people who were for Apple, they kind of either put their money together or they kind of talked about investing. And um, I was in there talking about my journey, buying homes, doing my own thing during COVID, working from home. One thing led to another, people were asking me to help them. And then after a couple of LLCs and JV deals, it just didn't make sense, right? I had too, too many people asking, kind of snowballed into a whole other thing. And that's when um, I met my business partner and we decided to go the fund route. So long story short. Well, so well, let's rewind a little bit to that, to the 22-year-old. So you're in Manhattan. You got your real estate license. I know you said that was cutthroat. I mean, was was your family into real estate or you just saw it as an opportunity uh, out there to kind of get into real estate? Um, no, my family was never in real estate. I think it was always, I've, I've always had a fascination for interior spaces. I myself love my home space. Like I'm someone who's always loved living alone. I love, I love investing in my home space. I like making it feel homey. I love different types of architecture. Um, so honestly, just, just a me thing. Um, and in New York, there's so many fun, 
funky spaces that you get to see that have some pretty heavy price tags on them and they're unique to themselves. So that was a really fun market to explore and at, at a very strange time. I and mean, we're talking 2013, 14, 15, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, was after the recession and things were starting to stabilize and come back up. Um, and then, you know, getting into San Francisco and learning about different types of real estate. I probably took a year to really understand the market again as as I grew in adulthood. Um, I'm currently licensed now. Uh, I don't actively practice. It's just to represent myself. Um, I, I used also took some time to get into the commercial space. So I have some multifamily background as well. So it's always kind of just been in my, in my life um, out of pure enjoyment and curiosity. And I'm grateful that it's now my full-time gig. <laughs> Well, when you when you said, I mean, the cutthroat, it, I mean, I'm assuming that it didn't really go that well in Manhattan. Is that correct? Uh, Manhattan, Manhattan has a, so because Manhattan is old money and okay. a lot of the real, I mean, there, it's not like there's an incredible supply like you would have in Nevada or Arizona, right? Where yeah. a builder can buy a bunch of land and keep building, which is why Manhattan historically everything's gone up like in, in um, story-wise rather than like being vast. New York has a very old money approach to real estate. So it's usually you're, you're, you do really well if you're extremely cutthroat and, um, you know, you're stealing deals, you're going out for leads, you're door knocking, you're doing all that. Um, or you're, you grew up in a family where you maybe have some really a very wealthy network and you can be a realtor to your father's business partner. And it kind of grows that way. So I've seen both tracks. I think at the time I was very young. Um, and because I didn't have any family in real estate and I was still kind of learning what I liked to do, I, um, and a part of me still wanted to experience school. I think I was one foot in and one foot out at the time, but it still remains an influence in my life. Was there, cause I mean, there's sometimes that people go down a path and maybe they don't succeed and sometimes they blame it on themselves. It seems, and other times they blame it on the, the, the process, the system, and they never even want to get back into that space later on. Was there any kind of thought about that later on, or is it just because it's two different trajectories? It really didn't matter. Or how did you look at that? Oh, totally. I think I went to like a Kevin O'Leary speech, maybe like five or six years ago. And I'm like, it was for house flipping. It was something related to that. And I remember being like, I don't know if this is me. Like I love real estate, but I thought maybe I'd get into like investing myself, um, maybe design of property. I've always liked architecture. Um, but it was never, I never thought like, I'm going to own a real estate. I'm going to be a partner at a real estate fund. And that is my life. Yeah. (laughs) What now you said you had brought the partner on. I mean, what was the partner? Did they sell you on the deal or did, was it a mutual thing kind of coming together, brainstorming or how did that, that partnership come about? So, uh, my business partner, his name is Seif. We are very, um, symbiotic. So he was, he was working at Facebook, uh, also Silicon Valley. And he also had his own trajectory of of investing in real estate. And I think he was really curious about Airbnbs, but at, at the time he wasn't as heavily active as I was. So, uh, you know, in terms of roles, he acts as, you know, more of the head of finance. He leads all of our investor relations and, and capital raising. I focus on the operational part of our business. So hiring infrastructure, the remodeling project managers, you know, that, that, uh, that shit show. Um, so, I mean, our, how we met is still very, um, relative to our roles right now. 
And I think we both had a really good understanding of what real estate meant for us and where we were at the time being investors already. And we wanted to offer the same back to um, a similar group of people, right? Friends and family, people that we worked with, people who were who are also have that curiosity to invest. But um, because Airbnb is so lucrative, but messy at the same time and time consuming, that's kind of how we found our niche. You kind of relay the the define roles that each of you have was that something that was self-realized was it something agreed upon before you guys started i mean the the define roles is always an interesting thing when you have partnerships because it seems like at least if there's an overlap sometimes it can get a little little hostile uh with you guys it seems like you have defined roles how did that come about uh that's a that's a funny question because it was so not defined in the beginning i think okay. in the beginning we were like we didn't have our software so we were cherry picking markets and underwriting each house and the market was so strange it was covid it was like well do we make an off you know an offer over asking do we play it under like it, there were so many critical decisive moments that needed to be made by both of us at the time in the beginning and then i think um i think we raised eight million in our first two weeks uh and we were like okay someone needs to own operations right and because i had been doing that um not only in my tech career, I, I uh, AirPods was my niche uh, product at, at Apple. And so I was a project manage, manager at the time. I was already managing hundreds of people and logistics and supply chain and everything. So it fell natural to me. Mm-hmm. And we both were so committed to this being successful, um, considering that we were leaving our jobs. So we just divided and conquered. And it became very clear where we needed to pivot. Did you have a, a number in mind of when you would actually look to leave your jobs or was it, we got to do this aside and we'll just kind of make the plunge. And what did it look like when you left the job, your jobs? I always joke around that our business found us. Okay. Um, I mean, we, we were intentional with it, but we were okay with going slow, being intentional, making the right choices. You know, we were, we were okay with that. Um, but I think it got to a point where it was chaotic in the best way. And, um, and it needed us to be fully operational and fully on board. So I think it was, it was more of a, Hey, this is what's happening. And like, we have faith in this and we're just going to go and do it. Hmm. What now you kind of talked about it before about you had your own journey of the Airbnb space, your coworkers at Apple were asking you for advice. Now, sometimes the, the questions of asking for advice and actually investing with you can be kind of a, a funky situation what was that process like of going hey you know what i have a company now if you want to invest in us we can help you out but i can't give you as much advice but maybe in the past that actually happened quite a bit towards the end and it was a hard position for me to be in and yeah. and there were some there were some times where i did help people because i think there's a lot of value and and also if they're friends right like there's some people like my my uh your, your best friend might not invest with you but if they're going to buy a house you can help them out so there, there was a gray area there for a little bit um, but I, I've had investors slash friends that don't invest with us that are asking that were asking me to find them homes in the same markets that we were buying in. And I was like, Hey, at this point, this is like, you know, it's my fiduciary duty to owe the fund, but, but you know, the best of interest, like I can't help you. So there, there was definitely a line drawn at some point. Did you lose any friends because of this? Not really. Not not like, you know, anything dramatic in that sense, but it was like, oh, you know, she's not helping us anymore. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. 
It's always tough. What, what I mean, talking about tough, tough road. I mean, what was the the biggest hurdle you've had to had to go through in building this business and brand? The hardest thing for both of us was was not the raising of capital. Um, it was the allocation of it and the operations. I always joke around with people. I'm like, name one house flipping company that's nationwide. Name one. Otherwise, everyone would use them, right? Yeah. Um, especially, especially if they're not luxury or they're not like a you know a, a wide scale developer or builder. I'm talking about investor friendly, you know, flipping companies or contractors that are also licensed, insured, that are legally vetted. You know, it's so different when you flip your own house. You're like, okay, I'll just do the flooring, or I'll just hire this guy who like said he could do it. And then it's different when you own a fund, right? And you're doing this in nine different markets. Um, and that's actually exactly what I do. That's that's my role. So um, hiring people, putting faith in other people, coaching, training, onboarding. Um, I think at one point last year, because I was so committed to quality in our homes, I was on a plane three times a month visiting houses in hmm. horrendous weather conditions, right? Like snow, negative seven degrees, just to make sure that things were okay. Now we're big enough as a company we've scaled where we have really great people on the ground and um, and we trust that process. And we also have a lot of process. We have checklists and, and you know, checkpoints for things and we have software that automates all that kind of stuff. So, but that, I think, I think I was working some crazy hours, maybe like 15, 18 hour days for about six or seven months. We just, you know, with money, you have to allocate it. You have to put it in certain places and you also have to make the right decisions doing right. that. So, I mean, w welcome to the life of owning a business, right? It, 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 it was, it was chaotic. Does that, does that play into the algorithm where it's like, we're, we're already in this market. So our costs are going to go down. If we're going to a new market, it has to be a killer deal. Does that play in the algorithm that you guys are purchasing? So we can, we can play around with certain numbers that we find relevant to us. So for example, like economies of scale, we have that in some markets. Like we have some contractors who cut us really good deals because they've done 12 houses for us in three or four months. Mm. Um, so I think that's also a benefit of our fund, right? Because we're, because we're doing economies of scale. We have, um, we just have some, some benefit in terms of like who we work with, the deals that we get. Um, the volume in which we we do things at the speed. So yes, but in terms of you know that being factored into the algorithm, but that took a while for us to get there. When you you talked about basically finding the right people and hiring the right people and getting them on board, I'm assuming there was probably some some hiccups in maybe hiring the wrong person one or two times. Did that happen in the earlier stages? Absolutely. And, and, you know, you know what the thing is, it's, it's, uh, as a business owner, it's always, it's always your fault, right? Um, a lot of the times in the beginning, you don't know what you're hiring for because you don't know what you need, even though what, what you think you might need may seem really logical. Like, Oh, it's in front of me. This is a problem, but you also don't know where your business is going. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know, I, I thought I needed someone to help me with one project, not seven. Yeah. Um, so also, they're in that journey with you and you know as a leader trying to understand what you need hiring for that need and then being able to project i think is hard especially in startups so yeah we 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 um we did hire some people that didn't work out um but i think that it was it was known between both parties um and obviously everything's very you know am amicable to this day 
what does that process look now based i mean based off of um learning from i guess previous mistakes how do you because there's people listening right now that maybe are looking to get their floor done or do construction around their house or on an investment property there's so much information and so many different people out there i mean what's is there any steps that you guys take to find the right people these days Absolutely. I mean, thank God for the internet, first of all, um, especially when you're, because I think there's there's hurdles, right? I mean, there are literally books that are written about investing out of state, and there are books that are written about investing in your backyard, two completely different things. Um, I mean, obviously, we look for good reviews. We look for pictures. We look for referrals. We're always checking on licenses and insurance and all that good stuff. Um, e even with that, though, I think you can have that and it could still not be a good fit. For example, um, one of the markets that we invest in is a mountain market. And um, a lot of those houses were built in the 1800s. And so a lot of the contractors of that area specialize in the restoration of like historic homes, which doesn't really help us. You know, I'm not, I don't want to spend $10,000 on restoring a staircase. I would rather spend it on games or hot tubs or amenities for people to use in houses. So I think there's also doing your, your, your vetting of that person, but also making sure that you're aligned from a, from a business perspective, because they're a business too, right. On how they make money. Yeah. And if they don't care about making money on volume, which is what we offer, maybe they care about, you know, refurbishing a $3 million Quaker home. Right. And that's not, that's not what we invest in. So I think, I think values in understanding values across People and businesses, designers, vendors is really important. Mm. Hmm. So, so find out kind of what they're looking to accomplish before you kind of bring them on, and then kind of come to a, an agreement on what you want done. Yes. Yeah. For sure. We're. I mean, so this this company I mean, has grown so rapidly over the last, I mean, couple of years. Where do you see the growth potential? Where do you see yourself and the company in the next five years? The next five years. So, I think. Um, I think when you build a business publicly and also this rapidly, you have goals in the beginning. Our goals have actually never changed. We've tried a lot of different things um, while scaling our fund and moving forward. I think right now we're at a place where we're very focused. Um, we know what works. We know what we're good at. Um, we've built systems in place. For example, you know, raising more capital. Um, we've defined what our product looks like. I mean, there's so many, there are people who do apart hotels. There are people who own condos. We own primarily three to six bedroom homes. That's our bread and butter. We have a quality for each of our homes. We order the same bed linens. We have the same games in our homes. There's an expectation. And we've actually seen that in our customer base and our guests. You know, we've had people say, hey, we stayed in your home in the Poconos and now we're staying in one in Scottsdale and now we're staying in one in Tampa. So hmm. it's nice to see that being reciprocated from our, our, our customer base that they find a solid product that we've built on. So I think it's continuing that. Obviously there's continuous improvement. No one's owned an Airbnb for 50 years. So what does that look like? Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and, and really, really expanding our, our market reach as well. So I think, I think doubling down on what we're good at and enjoying the journey. Do you, do you ever uh, perceive a, a future where you take on the rentals in-house instead of uh, going through Airbnb or VRBO? we've entertained the thought of it and it's something that's still kind of in the back of our mind 
right now, primarily from like a risk perspective. Um, I think everyone remembers in 2020 Airbnbs, like all of a sudden lights were out during COVID and like a lot of those people lost a lot of money. Um, we do have some direct bookings right now. It comes from friends, referrals, people that find us on social media. Um, but I think that is a different approach rather than what we're working on right now. It requires ad spend, website, direct booking platform. So we've entertained it, but it's not a main focus right now. Uh, so Sabrina, if someone's listening right now and they're looking to invest, um, and I mean, if you guys have time, go in the show notes. You're going to look at see their website for Tech Investors, and you can kind of see all the breakdown. But if someone's looking to invest, I mean, is the website the best way of getting more information, or what's the best avenue? Absolutely, the website's the best way to find us. Um, we are investing some time into content the next couple of weeks so you'll see us pop up there on linkedin on an email newsletter uh, on twitter but for right now the best the best spot is our website with, with the the push that's coming the intentions of it just to get on a, a, another round of uh, purchases or what are the plans i think we've built um in private by accident you know we were just really focused and um Seif and I just haven't had the time to like really talk about our journey and like what's been going on. Um, but I think a lot of people are curious. People are like, hey, you guys raised 22 million in 11 months. Like, how is that possible? How did you do it? How did you renovate 65 homes in a year, right? That's like a home and a half a week. Um, so I think we're, we're, we're understanding that people are curious. And I think, I think content is fun for both him and I. And it also allows people to understand who we are as a company and also as people. So it's more of a, a genuine approach rather than anything else. Well, well thank you again, Sabrina. I'm gonna finish on one last question. Is there any advice you would have given to your 22 year old self in Manhattan for she could have been successful at, at real estate in that uh, funky market that you're in? I say stay, stay persistent and stay curious. I think um, that's actually something I've always carried in my entire life. Um, not only in that moment, but I think persistence is key. I think you will have a lot of people tell you no. And we we had a lot of people. I've had a lot of people in my life tell me no to a lot of different things. And I still I still remained curious and focused. Um, and then obviously being curious, I think curiosity leads to a lot of different perspectives, answers. Um, you'll find yourself in the most unexpected places being the most fulfilled if you're curious. Well, again, thank you so much, Sabrina. I think for everyone listening right now, I mean, I, I think there's so many key takeaways, but one of the big ones is follow your passion. Follow your passion. People are going to want it. They're going to see that and come to you for questions before you know it. I mean, that can lead to a business lead career and you could explode uh, like Sabrina has. Thank you, guys. Please subscribe. Please share and uh, go look at uh, Tech Investors. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.